So I'm just going to put it out there. I'm bad at golf. (laughs) I think you can definitely agree with that. Yeah, I would provide expert testimony if anybody asked me about your golfing abilities. Yeah, so, and I feel really bad because your parents got me that brand new set of golf clubs years ago, Mm. and I still haven't touched them. My excuse was that I was pregnant, and then I had a baby, and then, no, I just haven't used them. You know, we could go to that that 3D indoor range and use them. Yeah, but here's the thing. I just don't want to embarrass myself. That's That's another reason I haven't used them. That's okay. I embarrass myself every time I go. Uh, but then also when your dad is there, he's like one of those dads that really wants to help you. But I'm one of those people that if I'm doing something bad, I don't want anybody to notice. And I don't want anybody to tell me what I'm doing wrong. <laughs> so I'm just stuck in this place where I'm never going to be good at golf. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I'm not saying, yes, you're going to be bad at golf forever. I'm saying I get it because my dad... Also continually critiques me, and I'm just like, I'm, I'm better off when we're just out there smoking a stogie. I, actually, I've never smoked a stogie with my dad, so that's a lie. Uh, when we're out there having a beer, drinking a couple of Coors Lights, and just having fun. See, that's why, like, when we go skiing, and I haven't been skiing for a while, I make you just go on the mountain and leave me alone on the bunny hill so I can fall a few times and get the hang of it. So yeah, that you're I- also not, crit- so I can figure out what I'm doing wrong and fix it myself so it's not you fixing me and critiquing me. Yeah. Let me just do it myself. But literally, I was like a test away from becoming a certified ski instructor, so... Yeah, but I don't like you telling me that I'm doing something wrong. Yeah, but also, like, okay, so to to, just uh, equate this back to my dad, my dad was never a test away from being a professional golf golf instructor, so... Still. Anyways. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Shoot. Welcome to America the Bazaar. I'm Jordan Roush. And I'm Jeremy Roush. This is a weekly American history podcast where we tell you all the weird stories that made America into the beautiful weirdo she is today. So weird. We love her. So, I guess, do we have any updates before we get into this week's episode? I think you had one. Oh. Yes, so uh, during the Christmas Mutiny episode, uh, Jordan said that uh, I had the ter- worst taste in music, which was enjoying a Nickelback on occasion. And she said that uh, listeners should call in and let her know what they thought of Nickelback and if they thought that that was the worst band ever. And so far, nobody has... I'm just chalking it up to a win because all of our listeners... None of them have said that Nickelback is an awful band. So, take that. So, I guess if you... See, here's the thing. Nobody's <laughs> written in to disagree with Jeremy that Nickelback is good, but nobody's also written in to agree with him. Yeah, but you didn't ask people to write in if they agreed with me. So, please write in. <laughs> Help me out. 
Try you trying to convince me that Nickelback is bad. Yes. And I'm not it's not gonna happen because everybody is a closet Nickelback fan. Okay. We're just gonna how have they made we're, we're just gonna as get many into albums the episode. As they, how many how have they made as many albums as they have if they are so awful? <laughs> it's really easy to do. <laughs> okay, we're gonna do the episode now. The origins of golf can be traced back to the ancient Roman game named Paganica. I think that's how you say it. Players would use a bent stick to hit a stuffed leather ball. As the Romans expanded their empire across Europe, the Paganica spread along with it. The first written record of the modern game of golf is when James II banned golf in 1457 because it distracted Scottish soldiers from practicing archery. Hmm. They were playing golf instead. The ban on golf was lifted. Can you do? Can you do a Scottish accent for us? No, please. No, I can't. I really can't. I'll do it later on. Okay. The ban on golf was lifted after the Treaty of Glasgow was signed between England and Scotland in 1502. James the Fourth made the first recorded purchase of golf equipment, which was a set of clubs from a bowmaker in Perth, Scotland. The old course at St. Andrews, Scotland, is considered to be the oldest golf course in the world and is nicknamed the home of golf, with evidence of golf being played there from as early as 1574. The standard 18-hole golf course was built at St. Andrews in 1764. It was actually a 22-hole course before that. Oh. And didn't your parents play at St. Andrews while they were over there? They did, yeah. In the 1800s, caddies at St. Andrews created a small putting area where they would practice while waiting for a golfer that needed their services. When women would come with their husbands, fathers, or brothers to their golf course, they would get bored waiting for the men to get back from golfing, so they would go putt around on the caddies' practice course. Women weren't allowed to play golf because they were too delicate and too modest to swing a club past their shoulders, obviously. Uh. Obviously. But they could putt. The caddies started to become annoyed with the women taking over their putting area, so the owner of St. Andrews dedicated an area that the women could play in, a piece of land away from the public eye where local women would dry their clothes. The land was rough and was covered in rabbit holes. A nine-hole course was laid out, or miniature links, that would require a clique and a putter. What's a clique? It's um, closest to what a modern four would be today. A modern? Uh, a, like a four, four club? Four iron. Four iron, yes. Yeah. See? Bad at golf. Don't even know what they're called. Why, uh, why a four iron and a putter? Those are two grossly different clubs. So I think a putter for most of it, and then... Oh, because it was like a par three course. Yeah. Oh, okay. It wasn't. You I had thought, to get I over was, some of the saying. rabbit holes and little hills that were there. Okay. Like is like not hills, hills, but it was kind of slightly rolling. Yeah, Microtrain. yeah. So then, the St. Andrews Ladies Golf Club was then formed in 1867. Besides all of the rabbit holes, the main obstacle that the woman had to play around was the fisherman's path that flooded quite often. <laughs> Planks were laid over the path so the woman could play when it did flood. They the, were wait, what was over there? It was a path that the fishermen would use, but it would get it would flood, so it was like little creeks, I yeah. guess. Yeah. And so they put 
planks over it like mini bridges. Okay, gotcha. You just you keep talking about this miniature course, and I just keep thinking of to like a uh, like a putt putt course. I just keep thinking of a putt putt course. Yeah, well, kind of similar. The ladies golf club held their first competition in 1867. The first place prize was a gold locket, and the second place prize was a silver pebble brooch. 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 <laughs> Are we doing this again? Yes. Always. Oh my gosh. I I I just listened to the Christmas episode again today, and I was just <laughs> always. <laughs> um, I love it. It's a brooch. Yes, it is. <laughs> by, ni- <laughs> by 1900, the ladies' club had 400 members, and there was now a gentlemen's miniature leagues club with 200 members. Because the men were like, hey, that looks like fun. Yeah, well, that's true. That yeah. James Wells Barber was an Englishman who moved to the United States in 1887 and was an avid golfer. He spent most of his time at Pinehurst in North Carolina, which was one of America's most prestigious golfing resorts. And it's still open today. Oh. You can still golf there. And Is it ni- still prestigious? I think. I don't know. You tell me. In 1917, Barber started construction on his second residence at the Pinehurst Resort and hired Edward H. Wiswell to design a miniature course in his backyard for his guests to play while they were staying there. Is this where the mini course finally starts I mean, to come in? I mean, this might be an episode about mini golf. <laughs> oh my gosh, yes. Short game. It, it kills me every time I play. It literally kills me. I I could be a professional golfer if I could putt. <laughs> See, that's the only thing I am good at. <laughs> With our powers combined. Right? So, Barber hired this uh, Wiswell guy to design a miniature course in his backyard for his guests to play while they were staying there. Wiswell designed an 18-hole course, but it was small and would be played by only putting. The longest hole was 71 feet, and the shortest was 12 feet. Wiswell did not make it an easy course. He used mounds of concrete to be positioned to stop the ball along the fountains, or along with fountains, walkways, and mini gardens. After looking out at the completed course, Barber said, This'll do, and the course was then named This'll do, which was the Scottish pronunciation pronunciation of This'll do. This'll do? This'll do. <laughs> so it's called This'll do. <laughs> this'll do. This'll do. There were... This'll do. <laughs> this'll do. This'll do. I know, it's getting, it's getting bad. The more I say it... <laughs> There were several articles in newspapers and magazines about the course, but it remained private, only to be used by Barber and his friends. One story written in the May 1921 edition of Golf Illustrated tells a story of golfer named Tom Kelly playing at Thistledew and how it took him 23 putts to complete one hole of the course. Wow. So it was a very complicated course. Three years after Thistledew opened, the Wentague County Club held an obstacle golf course tournament. The obstacles included an iron pipe, hurdles, and a sheet with a hole in the center. There was a similar event held in Pasadena, which was a nine-hole competition where players would have to chip the ball off of a brick, hit it through a barrel, and shoot it through a hoop. Prohibition came into effect in 1922. 
which meant that golfers could no longer sip on bourbon while playing a round of golf. It became a lot less fun. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so in order to liven up golf, they started playing obstacle golf. Because <laughs> yeah. regular golf was boring without booze. Yeah, without booze. I can agree. Yeah. It just gets frustrating. Yeah. Well, you know. I know. You know how frustrating it gets. I do. This was also- You of all people. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. You're actually decent for as the little amount that you play for how well you do. Sure. Which is a compliment. That's how you should take that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'll take it that way. You're welcome. This was also the time in America. You're Amer- welcome. Oh, I already said thank you. <laughs> there you what go. What else am I supposed to say? You didn't say thank you. I did. <laughs> This was also the time in America when we really were into mahjong and Ouija boards. (laughs) So it's like a weird time in America. The Great Depression is hitting, and so we just kind of got into weird pastimes. Mm -hmm. Obscure. Not weird. Obscure. Okay, yeah. Golf enthusiasts took notice of Thistledew and opened their own miniature golf courses. A mixture of cottonseed holes... Oil, sand, and dye was created as a playing surface that could be put anywhere, and entrepreneurs began to build rooftop putting courses in New York City. By 1930, there were over 100 rooftop putting courses in New York where office workers could play a short game during breaks. Nice. In 1927, a man named Garnet Carter placed a patent on the game of miniature golf, calling it Tom Thumb Golf. Garnet and his wife, Frida, owned a fairyland inn and had buildings that included Mother Goose's house, the Three Bears' house, and Hansel and Gretel's gingerbread house. The Carters built their miniature golf course next to those buildings that reflected the fairy tale theme. Their mini golf course had hollowed-out tree trunks, garden gnomes, and a statue of Snow White. Every hole had a different fairy tale theme like Cinderella, Red Riding Hood, and Little Miss Muffet. There were several animal heads where you would try to put the ball into their mouths. If you were able to get the ball into the animal mouth, the animal would make its corresponding animal noise. Like, moo. It was a cow. What what sound would it make if it was a caterpillar? I don't know. There was one that it was like, or fish head. And I don't know what that head would have made. That sound that head would have made. I guess. That's the sound. That's the sound of a fish. Ugh. In October of 1930, the first National Tom Thumb Championship was held. There was a first prize of $2,000 for both the gentlemen's and ladies' tournaments. Some players showed up to the resort two weeks before the tournament so they could practice on the course. Herbert Barnett, a 32-year-old cigar salesman that stood at 30 inches tall, played the course. What? Yeah. Oh, this is also the time when I would tell you that people were also calling it midget golf. Oh, really? Yeah. (laughs) So, Herbert didn't own his own club, so someone let him borrow their 36-inch putter. So the putter was six inches taller than Herbert. Nice. Herbert didn't play very well, obviously, because his putter was six inches taller than he was. Have you seen some of the modern-day putters, the two-handed ones? Uh Uh-uh. Oh. Are they really tall? Yeah, they're like... They're like five, five, five and a half feet tall. Jeez. So the idea is that you're like... They're just you put your arms in a very neutral position. Yeah. So you're not having to fully extend your arms and then having any variation 
Okay. And in your arm length, so that that way you're you can kind of go to the same neutral huh. grip. Weird, but it's golf. Neat. So he didn't play very well, but he said, "What do you expect? The only full size article I use is a meditation cigar." Nice. The official Tom Thumb book. What's a meditation cigar? I assume it's the type of cigar that he would sell. Ah. It looks like it's a name brand. Ah. The official Tom Thumb booklet stated, Passerbys see the course, they see people putting, they stop, they lean on the fence surrounding the course, they watch the ball as it travels towards the cup, they scream, they laugh, they are fascinated, they want to play, they do play, they laugh, they scream, they groan, at last they are playing golf. For $20, you could purchase the official Tom Thumb jacket and matching beret to wear while playing mini golf. Dang, I feel like guy is making bank. He was making bank. The Carters eventually sold the Tom Thumb franchise for $200,000 to a pickle manufacturer. What? <laughs> yeah. This was in the 30s? Yeah. Wow. That was, was a fortune. Especially because this is the middle of the Great Depression. Right. Yeah. This guy's found a way to make money. Exactly. People buy a $20 jacket beret. Sets to play mini golf in. Right. In 1930, the Commerce Department estimated that there were 25,000 mini golf courses in the United States. And by the end of 1930, it was estimated that 4 million Americans played mini golf every day. Jeez. Yeah. Mini golf exploded in America. Yeah. It's like K-pop. Yeah. (laughs) If you wanted to own a golf course in the 30s, you could order a package that came with blueprints and all the necessary parts that took about a week to assemble. There was a miniature golf course manufacturer in Rochester, New York, that had around 200 employees. Some saw mini golf as a way to get rich quick during the Great Depression. Even gas stations would have mini golf courses built right next to them so travelers could play a quick game while they filled up their car with gas. One gas station had an advertisement that read, Play Tom Thumb Golf While Your Car Is Washed. Nice. Yeah. Go into the store, get a snack, play some mini golf, get gas. Yeah. Really, you know, an you know, all in you one know, stop. I, you know I wouldn't be down for that, though. Because you just want to keep going on road I'm, trips? I know. Road trips, I'm just like, I'm on a mission. Gotta get there. But maybe... If there were mini golf courses at every gas station we've drove by, that wouldn't be the case. I feel like that would take the fun out of it, like the novelty out of mini golf. If you see mini golf literally everywhere, then you wouldn't feel like you're like, you wouldn't be like, oh, I I need, we should play because we never get to play mini golf. You know what I'm saying? I don't think so. You don't think so? No. How many mini golf courses have you seen? Well, I know of one. That's what I'm saying is that mini golf sounds super fun to go do because there's we never go play mini golf and there's hardly any mini golf courses around here. If they were everywhere, it wouldn't be that big of a deal. If it was affordable. Yeah. Like so, I think that's the thing is like that's how people are getting rich is they it's literally such a low overhead cost. Right. For it, because you don't need tens of acres or hundreds of acres to make this elaborate golf course. You need, like, not a lot. Yeah, I agree. With all of the new mini golf courses being created, courses had to use slogans and gimmicks to set themselves apart. 
Some of the slogans were, A snappy course on a snappy site. Don't think it's simple. It's not. Fun exercise in the sunshine, which means health and happiness. Basically, what I'm trying to say is that people in the 30s were not good at marketing. (laughs) (laughs) None of those are good slogans. (laughs) By today's standards, they would fail. Some mini golf courses would have a ladies' day where women players would be given flowers, which, thanks, I guess. I have to carry around this flower while I play mini golf. Yeah. And one course in Taylorville, Illinois, had a ladies' night where women could play for free on Wednesday nights. That's what I'm talking about. The course was lit up by 20 200-watt lamps and 14-inch reflectors. Dang. That was a bright course. Bright. Some courses would hire orchestras that would play while golfers putted, and some of the courses even had caddies. Nice. Which, I don't know why you need a caddy for mini-golf, because you have your putter. (laughs) That's it. (laughs) Yeah, but you'd only need one, because it could carry all four of your putters. (laughs) If you need all four putters, oh, like for every person, you're saying? Yeah. 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 So all four I guess if you guys are all, if everybody's too lazy to carry their own putter. Not lazy. Mm. No. It's boosting the economy. Creating jobs. Creating jobs. There were also ballroom courses mm-hmm. where you could dance and play mini golf at the same time. Uh, false. There's no way you could dance <laughs> and play mini golf at the same time. I think it's like basically if a nightclub today had mini golf in it is yeah. what it was. Yes. So it's basically CJ's. Yeah, in Moscow. <laughs> Did they have mini golf? They didn't have mini golf in there. <laughs> well, they didn't have mini golf. Okay. And literally everything else. I, <laughs> now I feel like mini golf and a Ferris wheel is the only thing they were missing. So I guess it would be like a nightclub having pool. Yeah. But it was mini golf instead. Or a nightclub that has dancing poles, beer pong tables, pool tables, okay, so shuffleboard tables. So yes, just like CJ's. Dart boards. <laughs> the LA Times, doing some A-plus reporting on mini golf, wrote that Putting seemed to come naturally to women on account of their hereditary gift of being able to wield a broom every day. (laughs) Thanks, New York Times. It was the LA Times, Uh, but yeah. Thanks, LA Times, for your progressive... Thank you, LA Times, for, yeah, your... Progressive. So insightful. Feminism points of view. Oh my gosh. (laughs) reason they're so good at it is because they use a broom every day. Yeah. They basically putt every yeah. day. Dust bunnies are pretty much golf balls. <sighs> the Oakland Tribune, Sorry. they sponsored a mini golf competition. First place prize for the winner of the gentleman's category was an Austin car. It's like old timey. Like, you know, all of those cars that they show had up. a car? Yeah. First place prize was a car for the men. You want to know what first place prize was for the women? A broom. Uh, close. It was a radio. I wish it was a broom. Yeah. Well, pretty close. (laughs) Seriously, America. Hmm. Many of the courses would have themes like the Wild West or the Wonders of China, where the Great Wall was a favorite obstacle. A company named Miniature Golf Courses of America, Inc. MGCAI? M-G-C-O-A-I. Miniature Golf Courses of America, Inc. Yeah. 
MGCAI. Sure. Oh, is that something that you are deeply uh, familiar with? The yeah. MGCAI? Yeah. You know them? Maybe. You get their magazine? Maybe. Do you? Yeah. Do you, do you have a burn with that? Or you just... Well, you just said... You just basically made it an acronym like you knew what it was. Yeah. Maybe I do. That's what I'm asking. Do you? <laughs> Not allowed to talk about it. So, anyways... A company named Miniature Golf Courses of America, Inc. made replicas of famous American landmarks such as Yellowstone Park, Puget Sound, and the Grand Canyon. Nice. Their slogan was, See the U.S. with a putter, which, it sounds kind of hokey, but I almost feel like because it was the Great Depression and people really couldn't travel to go see these places across the U.S. Yeah, they couldn't afford it. It was kind of a fun way to see landmarks in Mm -hmm. a way. Mm Mm-hmm. At least a replica. Yeah. That is pretty cool. The courses had long hours, with some courses opening at 6 a.m. and not closing until 4 a.m. So they would only be closed for two hours. My God. So Employing high schoolers, probably. Well, actually, it was mainly for um, those people that had just gotten out of the opera or theater, and they could go play a round of golf while still wearing their ball gowns and tuxes before going home. Nice. Everybody loved mini golf. The Daily Gleaner wrote, Visit one of them at night and you will find it occupied by about 100 people, boys and girls, golfers and non-golfers. When a poker game breaks up in the early hours, the losers lure the winners to a new course and strike to get their money back. The women scream if they make a good shot and scream if they don't. (laughs) Again, just A-plus reporting on women. Yep. Most courses cost somewhere between 25 cents and 50 cents, which could also vary depending on if you were playing during the day or night. Usually night golf was a little bit more expensive. Right. They figured you had more money if you were out. At night? Yeah. Yeah. Out on the town? Yeah. This was about the same cost as a movie theater ticket, and there was actually a 25% drop in attendance at movie theaters, with some theaters actually being turned into mini golf courses. Film studios started to forbid their stars to play mini golf because they didn't want people to see stars Stars playing playing mini mini golf golf. and then them wanting to play mini golf too because mini golf was taking all of the film studios money. This was a problem for some of the biggest stars at the time though that were huge fans of mini golf. Actress Mary Pickford owned the most expensive mini golf course in the world where she would autograph golf balls and offer kisses to customers. Fred Astaire, Douglas Fairbanks, and Faye Ray were some of the other famous stars of the time with a mini-golf hobby. Rich people also got into the mini-golf craze. The Vanderbilts had their own course, and Mabel Dodge, a New York socialite and author, constructed a three-story townhouse named the Mecca of Merriment that had a Tom Thumb course along with a dance hall, stage, bar, and a ping-pong table. <laughs> That's amazing. One Los Angeles course. Could you, could you imagine turning like, your house into a golf, mini golf course? Having, I wonder if that was like one floor of her house. I feel, you know, I'm, I'm kind of having these like memories, these flashbacks as we're talking about it, uh, where my cousin and I literally, we had these, these blue plastic cups growing up. Mm-hmm. They, uh, uh, that, me and, and I'm having, I just, I don't know why, but 
Well, I know why, because we're talking about mini golf. Uh, we took these these cups and we push them. We'd put them in the house. We'd take one and we'd put it in the house somewhere. We had to have our putter and our golf ball, and we'd go like back to my bedroom and be like, "All right, we got to get from my bedroom all the way out to the living room putting." <laughs> and we'd do it. I, I I I don't know where my parents were. I can't imagine they were home because like. We were like literally traveling down hallways and Just through the living room. all the way through your yeah. house. And like obviously as as kids we're hitting the ball like when we want to when we want it to like ricochet and go through go around a corner. Right, yeah, bank you know, off a wall. Bank it off a wall or a closet or something. Yeah. So Yeah, I can't imagine your mom being okay with that no. when she was home. One Los Angeles course trying to attract famous clientele had a bear cub named Pronto. Oh, Pronto. They had trained the bear to stop the balls by smearing them with honey and fish. Nice. So he would try to grab your ball and eat it. All the time. All the time. Pronto the bear started in a cage that you had to shoot through, so I don't know what happened if your ball did get stopped in the cage. (laughs) Yeah, Pronto just ate it. Yeah, so don't know what you do then. You gotta go pay for a new ball. Yeah. Probably an extra five cents. Probably. But then eventually they got rid of the cage and they just chained Pronto the bear to a post so you could get right up next to Pronto. And what if you did, and if you could like hit your ball right next to him and you'd have to go putt while standing right next to the bear. Yeah, if he was if he hadn't already eaten your ball. Right. Uh, there were signs placed next to Pronto that read, "Quit puttering around and bear down on that club." And do not bribe the hazard. Because <laughs> again, the thirties and everything was cheesy. What are those? Those candies, the bit o honeys. Bit o honeys. Yeah, yeah. Just throw him some of those. Yeah, yeah. So you get past the hazard. They, yeah. Caliente Links in Desert Hot Springs, California, cost a hundred fifty thousand dollars to build, and would have steam rising out of the course features, including out of a castle. There was also skyscrapers that you would put into, and your ball would shoot out of a window into another course hazard. <laughs> South Pasadena had a course themed after a Wild West wagon trail, and you had to putt through scattered bones on one hole. There was also a course where one hole was just you playing through a full-sized Zulu hut. So, mini golf courses are getting very more eccentric. And more elaborate. Yes. Extremely eccentric. Yes. There's, I mean, there's a bear. Many, many golf courses across many, the United many, 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 yeah. many, many, many. Uh, across the United States would have the Singer Midgets, most notably from The Wizard of Oz. Oh, it was a singing, dancing vaudeville group. Uh, they would perform while pretending to be touring professional mini golfers. <laughs> so. What was there? Just a draw? Just as another act? Yep, just as another act, another way to get people there to so the mini golf courses. So now you have, uh, so let's see, you have women's night, ladies' night. Ladies' night. You've got orchestras playing. You've got orchestras. You've got a bear. You've got a bear. You've got uh, touring the U.S. Yeah. Some golf courses have famous people. Famous people. And Actors are generally banned. And it's a decent price. Dang. Why wouldn't you play go play mini golf? Mm. And it's open super late. Right. And affordable. Yeah. The only bummer thing is that it's 
Or I guess 1930. Was Prohibition over? They were dry. Prohibition was still going on. It didn't end until 1933. Ah. So, still Prohibition. So it's not like you could get drunk at the mini golf course. Mm -hmm. But it was open late and you could play late. Legally. Legally. Churches started taking issue with mini golf, though. People were skipping out on Sunday service to go play mini golf instead. (laughs) Churches began to accuse mini golf of promoting immorality. The East Orange City Council of New Jersey banned playing golf on Sundays despite a a petition with 10,000 signatures asking to not ban it. Residents of cities would complain to their police and city officials about shouts, curses, giggling, hee-hawing, and raucousness that was coming from the nearby courses. Cities began to put curfews on mini-golf and banning the construction of mini golf courses next to schools. Because <laughs> you can't you don't want the kids being distracted by the mini golf courses and wanting to go play. I can't even begin to tell you how relevant this is. Like my dad growing up would go would golf three out of four weekends, three out of four Sundays a month. And then that fourth Sunday, he would come to church with us. Because your mom makes him go to church with her. Yeah. One, once a month. Yeah, that's their deal. But doesn't he count funerals and weddings, too? Yeah. Isn't that he, his he's rule? got a few exceptions yeah. to the rule. And he likes to think that he builds up a plethora of, of, uh, of back, what do you, I don't know what you'd call it, back stock. So during the winter, he goes two or three times a month so that in the summer, he doesn't have to go at all. Yeah. Newspapers started to call out President Herbert Hoover for allowing mini golf to go unchecked. There's no rules on mini golf. They can just do whatever they want. Just sit in with their mini golf ways. And they're lawless. Yeah. Will Rogers, a very famous celebrity at the time. Yeah. He spoke out against the evils of mini-golf and how it distracted people from the hard realities of life. Will Rogers said, There's millions with a putter in their hand when they ought to have a shovel. Just let people have fun. They're having fun playing mini-golf. Don't take that away from them. America sucks right now. It's the Great Depression. Right. Let them have their fun. Yeah, but if you recall, like, our Puritan founders, like... Don't have Christmas. You need to work. Yep. Don't have fun. I feel like that's kind of the basis of the whole American society. Yeah. Work till you're dead. Yeah. And so then all of a sudden, mini golf began to disappear as a pastime just as fast as it had appeared. So mini golf was really only huge for a few years. Yeah. And then it was gone. So when did it start disappearing? Like 1933. Same time as Prohibition ended. People got their booze back. Yeah. So they could go play regular golf again. Sinners. They could go get drunk so they didn't need mini golf anymore. In the early 1950s, a 28-year-old businessman named Don Clayton was suffering from stress. He would calm himself down by designing mini golf, mini golf holes on index cards, and then he would construct them on his lounge floor by using cardboard and string. So kind of like you and Ben, your cousin. Clayton then bought some land and opened a putt-putt course in June 1954. Clayton made every hole a possible par two and got rid of the extreme gimmicks of the 1930s mini golf. So, no bears. Soon the Putt-Putt franchise expanded across America, building next to the newly paved highways and freeways. So that's kind of what helped mini golf 
get popular again was people were traveling and they were driving a lot and then they would see a mini golf course on the side of the highway and oh let's stop in there kids let's go play yeah dad could go sit at the bar have a few drinks exactly because many of the new uh mini golf courses weren't just golf courses anymore they were parts of larger entertainment areas right amusement parks right so they would have food and they would have drinks and they would have go-karts and bowling and all of that things so had a lot to offer obstacles at these courses often including large statues with moving parts that were meant to distract players giant windmills sphinxes pyramids and dinosaurs were popular obstacles Mini golf was now seen as wholesome, unlike the party image that it had in the 1930s, <laughs> and it was a popular pastime for suburban families and dating teenagers. In 1977, George W. Bush took Laura on their first date to a putt-putt course in Midland, Texas. Aww. In 1989, Donald Trump built a miniature golf course in Central Park named Gotham Golf, where players had to putt around the Plaza Hotel and Trump Tower, and finally around Trump Air Jets at the ninth hole modeled after LaGuardia Airport. And that is the story of mini-golf in America. Mini-golf! My sources for the story are, How Did Sports Begin? Have you ever played mini-golf? I don't think I've ever played mini-golf before. What? I know. Now, I didn't, there was, surprisingly, not a mini golf course in Riggins. <laughs> mm, I don't think it's that surprising. By the way, to listeners that don't know, I grew up in a town of about 500 people. Mm-hmm. My graduating class was 18. We did not have a mini golf course. Well, we'll take you to whatever they're calling the mini golf course around here I now. think it's Wahoos. Yep. Isn't that what it is I now? Think it is. I think that's the conglomerate that owns it now. Yeah. Can't wait. Uh, I bet I could do well at mini golf. Mm. I'm going to practice, though, without you watching. <laughs> at the house. Yeah. You and Henry. Yeah. We'll oh. practice together. But Henry would love mini golf. Oh, Henry would be great at mini golf, except he'd be dangerous with, with the, club. the club. He'd yeah. be swinging that thing around yeah, everywhere. Yeah, yeah. he's going to hit somebody in the yeah. face. Yeah. Or throw it in the in the pool. Right. Because there's a, there's a bumper boat. Oh. Yeah. Pool right next to this mini golf course. Yep, that thing would be going in the pool for sure. So my sources for the story are How Did Sports Begin? A Look at the Origins of Man at Play by Rudolf Brash. Club History by St. Andrew's Ladies Putting Club. The Origin of Miniature Golf and Thistledew by Chris Bosnos. Birthplace of Miniature Golf in Chattanooga by Offbeat Tennessee. Trump shows NY Art of the Putt and Mini Golf by New York Times. Nutters with Putters by Tim <laughs> Davies and John McIver. Nutters with Putters. Bear Down There You Golfers by the Southeast Missourian. Nice. So, Is that the one about Pronto? That's the one about Pronto. And there's pictures of ladies putting right next to Pronto. Is he super cool? He's super cool. He's a brown He's bear. He's a little bear. He's cinnamon in color. He's cute. Is he a black bear or a brown oh, bear? He's probably a black bear. Yeah, I bet he's a brown bear. The pictures were awful, too. Because, I mean, the 30s. So, make sure to subscribe to us so you never miss an episode. Go follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. 
We post on there pretty regularly. Tell your friends. Rate, review us on iTunes. If you would like to support this podcast, please go to patreon.com and search for America the Bazaar. The link is also in the show notes, so you can just go and click on that. There's bonus material, including bonus episodes, behind-the-scenes stuff, so it's really worth it to go check out. And until next time, stay stay weird, America. America.